We all want to feel like we belong, but sometimes it's challenging to find connection in our living spaces, neighborhoods, communities, and relationships. On Home Where You Belong, we're here to change that. Hear stories of people from different backgrounds and from different places and how they've been able to feel more at home to help give you a renewed sense of connection, belonging, and optimism. Welcome to Home Where You Belong with your host, Chip Alford. Since World War II, more than 84,000 chemicals have been introduced in the American marketplace. Less than 1% of those chemicals are regulated. 287 chemicals have been detected in the umbilical cords of newborn babies in the U.S. Some of those have a very negative effect on development and overall health. While we live in a world full of toxins, our homes don't have to be, according to health and wellness expert Sophia Ruan Goucher. Sophia is passionate about empowering people with the safest way to detox, avoiding toxic chemicals, heavy metals, and electromagnetic fields, or EMFs, from what we buy, own, and do. Her simplified, practical approach makes non-toxic living both understandable and achievable, and is one of the reasons her expert opinion has been featured on media outlets as diverse as Family Circle and Fast Living Magazines, NBC's Today, and The Dr. Oz Show. Sophia believes simple detox tweaks can transform our lives. She joins us today to share insights based on years of research and resources like her critically acclaimed book, A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures. Sophia, welcome to Home Where You Belong. I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I was looking at your website last night, ruonliving.com, and there's a wealth of resources on non-toxic living, which I found really interesting and helpful. How did you get interested in this topic? Because it's really kind of a full-time focus for you now, isn't it? It has become a full-time focus. And I loved the career I had before this. I was very determined to not give that up. What was that career, if you don't mind me asking? I focused on distressed investing on behalf of institutional investors. So I worked for various private equity funds. And what I loved about my job was that we focused on um, sort of disaster situations, looking for value creation opportunities. And I loved what I did. But I found myself naturally applying a lot of my professional skill sets towards this area of, I guess I'll call it non-toxic living, practical non-toxic living. And my interest in it developed about 16 years ago, soon after my first daughter was born. She was about a week old and I every night would review thoughtfully curated reading materials written by physicians and other experts to draft my daughter's schedule the next day for the nanny because I worked full-time, like more than full-time outside the home. And it was in this nightly routine that I started accidentally learning about toxic chemicals and heavy metals in baby products and other household items that would influence my daughter. For years, every time I would accidentally learn about a toxic exposure in a household item, 
my first reaction was, this cannot be true. If this were true, someone like our pediatrician, my OBGYN, somebody would have alerted me to this, but I couldn't ignore what I was learning. The first example is learning about a hormone disrupting chemical, BPA, found in some baby bottles. And then weeks later, I learned about nitrosamines, a cancer-causing chemical found in some baby bottle nipples. But I always thought this can't be true, but what if it is? And so my first question was, are there credible sources to back up these claims? So usually I'd learn about this accidentally at around midnight after pumping and having the family peacefully sleeping. And then I usually would be up till two or three in the morning surfing the internet for credible sources to figure out what's a rational level of concern. I usually would find out that I wanted to make a different choice. So then I would be up till 4 a.m. trying to figure out what do I buy instead? And this went on for eight years until I finally decided to share all that I've learned for my younger self. And it's summarized in the handbook. You can see behind me, A to Z of detoxing. I wanted a science-based overview of what I wish I knew sooner. Absolutely. It's good that you mentioned credible sources because there's so much information out there, right, to wade through. I mean, you can get lost down a lot of different rabbit holes on the internet. But what was it that made you take this more seriously, I guess she started to find what she believed were credible sources out there. Is that right? There's so many really compelling reports by the European Environmental Agency. There's some stuff by the EPA, the World Health Organization, but more great reports from Europe. And I actually found it much more helpful to look at how agencies outside the US were reacting to the same body of science. So for example, Europe, the European Union and Canada, and sometimes even China was having a more precautionary approach or response to the science. And to realize, for example, just BPA in baby products When I was looking into this around 2008 to 2012, the US FDA kept saying it was fine, but it was being regulated even by China in baby products. So it was very, very helpful to realize that there are varied responses to the body of science, but there's some really great organizations like the Endocrine Society and other medical authorities, even sometimes the American Academy of Pediatrics would take positions on like cell phone radiation. It just, it's so hard to believe that products sold on American store shelves and popular everyday products do pose health risks. Absolutely. Some of them do. Yeah, some of them do for sure. As you've looked into this, you've done a lot of research, talked to a lot of people, what are some of the more common kind of toxins that that might be in our home? Can you give me two or three examples? You mentioned ones related to baby food or baby items. Any other things, maybe cleaning products, other things like that? They're really in everything. And so I, I've actually broken them down into the pillars of our lives. Okay. So I, I have this 
online detox academy, which is really what I wanted more than a book. <laughs> so I felt compelled to create something that I really wanted after the book. And inside the detox academy, the, the toxic exposures are categorized into the key sources of exposures in an average person's life. So sure. one is cleaning products. Another is self-care products, which includes beauty products and personal care products like deodorants and toothpaste and feminine care products. A third is diet. Our diets would benefit from a uh, detox, yeah. no matter what you're eating, but even the food packaging materials, what you're storing the foods in, how you cook, what you cook with. There's so many things that you can do that are simple and practical that will decrease your daily exposures. Also, how we decorate our homes, our interior furnishings can make a big difference. And so I don't focus on building materials, which is harder to change, like your sure. building insulation, but your sheets and your pajamas, you know, well, that's clothing, but things that are easier to change if you're about to redecorate or like change an home office into a nursery or a playroom, for example, then that's a moment where you might want to learn more about how you can make more conscious choices. Mm -hmm. And also, I, I just briefly introduced what you wear. You know, I hesitate to use the word fashion, but for lack of a better word, fashion, but really a great thing to focus on is what do you wear that touches your skin for long periods of time? So your underwear, your for women bras and pajamas, those fabrics, you want to think, do I love them? If not, then maybe I'll detox the materials that sit on my skin for hopefully eight hours a night. What kind of toxins could be present in the clothing that we wear, like pajamas or, or whatever? What kind of things could could be located there? When you think about clothes, I would first think about what are they made of? What are what are the fabrics made of? So often fabrics are actually made of types of, of plastic, polyester, nylon, rayon. Those are examples of textiles that actually are petroleum based. They're a type of plastic. And as you learn more about what creates plastic, you realize it's just a whole host of chemical formulas. They're also more likely to be flammable. Mm. So some fabrics will then also be treated by chemical flame retardants. Okay. And there is an amazing scientist, Arlene Bloom, who in the 70s worked hard to use her science to ban chemical flame retardants from children's pajamas. They were in children's pajamas. She successfully got them banned, but those same chemical flame retardants later made their way into many other household items. Often they're in like foam. So if you, if you take the time to observe the things in your home, you'll realize foam is actually present. I call it a household repeat offender. It's in upholstered furniture, it's under carpets and rugs, it's in stuffed animals, it's in mattresses, pillows, nursing pillows, high chairs, and so much more. 
I ended up dissecting a mattress and what I mean, <laughs> not physically, but when my firstborn was like three or four months old and I started coming across claims online that mattress crib mattresses could be a contributing factor to SIDS, which stands uh -huh. for sudden infant death syndrome. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Highly alarming when you have yeah. a child less than a year old and you are then worried about SIDS because we don't really understand what causes it. I ended up not really finding, you know, I had to piece together some sources. There was a really great report called The Mattress Matters by New York State. But in essence, as I tried to understand what is the safest mattress for my daughter in terms of protecting her from toxic fumes that can off gas from the mattress? Yeah. I wanted to understand what wraps the materials that wrap the mattress and then everything inside. And as I understood the components of common mattresses, whether it's crib mattresses or adult mattresses, I ended up identifying them as household repeat offenders because they make up so many other things in our homes. So if you take the time to understand them, it's much easier to make safer choices. They end up, they're fabrics. You'll understand the different fabrics and cushioning materials and therefore chemical treatments used. Uh, earlier, I talked about chemical flame retardants, but also chemicals to help resist stains and wrinkles and water stains. But these things make up everything. Our curtains, sure. our bedding materials, our bath linens, our clothes, so many things. So that was really empowering. So let me add that the things, the chemicals that make up our products don't stay in the products. Okay. They get released. They're off-gassed into the air as fumes, or they can break down and release compounds into our dust. So we can inhale them. We can, as uh, fumes or dust, we can absorb some of them through our skin. So we are always having this invisible exchange with our external environment. And so being ultimately having three children and studying this from soon after my first daughter was born, I grew a deeper appreciation for how my body is the first home of my ch children. There have been hundreds of chemicals found in umbilical cord blood. I saw that, yes. Yeah, humans are being exposed from in utero. It's in breast milk. And these chemicals come from things we can control, like food packaging materials and cleaning products and beauty products. And so it's just another pillar of health that we should consider as much as we consider what we eat, how much we sleep, how often we exercise. It's part of your overall approach to wellness, I guess, That's or right. health. There are certain stages in our lives where these exposures are even more meaningful. They're always influencing us because, for example, our hormones guide 
so much of our biological processes. Right. And there have been about a thousand endocrine disrupting chemicals identified. But since World War II, there have been over 86,000 chemicals introduced into just the United States. That's Never great. mind the other That's countries. Crazy. Yeah. And many of our household items, including food items, are a result of an international effort. So the environments of the whole world really end up coming into our homes in some way or another. And so there's just a lot. We should be humbled by what we do not know. But even if you look at what we do know, that is really humbling. And so when humans go through major stages of development, which is in utero, early childhood, adolescence, for women, it would be menopause, then those hormone-disrupting chemicals can have more meaningful effects. This is interesting because just this week in our neighborhood's Facebook group page, somebody posted that their daughter, I believe, young daughter, had done some tests and tested her level of lead was high, higher than it, I guess, a normal range. And, you know, was asking if other other parents, other people in the neighborhood had experienced similar things and where could that be coming from and that kind of thing. And so what I'm assuming lead is one of the common things that people um, talk about. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in addition to that, what are some just kind of common things that people might find in their homes that we should avoid? Well, first of all, in regards to that girl, Assuming the family tested their house dust for lead, which can maybe come from paint in the house or elsewhere, there's so many items that still expose us to lead. They okay. include backpacks, lunch bags, you know, those metal lunch cases, yeah, lip lipstick. There lipstick, wow. Even certain ceramic pots and pans or ceramics in general. So if the family has ceramic dishware or pots and pans, like ceramic coated pots and pans, those are things that they might want to reevaluate. Okay. So that's something about lead I wanted to say. And then sure, second, thanks. lead serves a purpose. And oftentimes it's added to plastics to create more weight. So for example, it can be in children's jewelry, like costume jewelry, sure, to give it more weight. So this plastic necklace, for example, or tiara feels more heavy, like a real substantial. Tiara. Yeah, yeah. If a manufacturer is trying to avoid lead, and lead also is used for color to create a rich color, then. Another heavy metal that has been used to replace lead is cadmium. Okay. And that's also a neurotoxin. And so I just want to point out this idea that these toxic exposures often have been used to create a desirable trait in a consumer right. product, like I explained. And when they when manufacturers learn that something is unhealthy, then and then they replace it with something else that substitute compound whether it's a heavy metal or a chemical is not necessarily safer but it just takes us collectively including scientists 
a long time to discover that, to prove it, to communicate it. And so that's why I feel like understanding the household repeat offenders is so empowering because it okay. just gives you a common sense understanding of how to think about the things you buy and the things you keep at home. But so heavy metals in general that are often in the home include lead, cadmium, um, mercury sometimes, you know, we know that from the seafood, but lead and cadmium and arsenic have been found in a lot of dietary items. So I researched the spices I buy because certain brands have been found to have fewer heavy metals than other brands. Arsenic has been found in a lot of rice and rice byproducts. But mm. when you pay attention to where the rice was grown and certain brands, then you can reduce your arsenic exposures. But if you have a lot of rice in your diet, then you want to look into how can you make the safest choices in terms of the rice products you buy or rice byproducts like crackers and I don't know, pasta. Sure. Um, and so those are three examples of common heavy metals. And in terms of chemicals, bisphenol A became really notorious. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's also referred to as BPA. It's okay. found in many household items. It's often in plastics. It's in canned foods. The inner, okay. it, uh, chemical used to protect the metal from eroding, and but it can leach into the food, and it's a hormone disrupting chemical that's one of the most studied chemicals, and it's associated with a long list of health concerns. But it's also used in like the coating of paper. So printing paper, receipts. And so you just want to be aware so you can reduce the exposures that are easy to reduce. So one tip with BPA actually, and the substitute chemicals have also been found to sometimes be at least as harmful or more harmful. But just pay attention now to paper in your life. So when you're traveling, maybe the airline tickets, movie tickets, printing paper, receipts, there's a shiny, slippery coating. And chemicals are used to not only make it waterproof to prevent the ink from smearing, but also to help absorb the ink and, okay. and other things. But studies have found that if you handle these receipts, for example, after using hand sanitizer or lotion, you will absorb multiple times more of that. So wow. just if you think about the holiday season, you're shopping more as gifts. Um, maybe you're moisturizing more, more likely to use hand sanitizer because it's the cold and flu season. Just be aware of that. And it's a natural time to just wear gloves when you're handling the receipt. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what are some simple changes or things that people might do that kind of maybe kickstart this process? I think a very simple idea that's super high impact that you could spend the rest of your life working on <laughs> is observing the many different ways that plastic shows up in your life okay, and exploring how to reduce 
your use of plastic, your exposure of plastic, housing plastic, like in your home. So examples of, I mean, the obvious ways plastic is in our lives is food containers, beverage containers, wrapping, like food wrapping materials and packaging in general. And again, the chemicals that make a plastic can end up in our dust, in our air, in our bodies. So that's why you want to reduce your exposures to plastic. Plus, it's horrible for our planet. And items, household items that surprised me are dental floss, feminine care products, diapers. What what could be in uh, dental floss? I'm a big flosser. <laughs> well, the fibers. Okay. The fibers are actually a type of plastic. You mentioned that plastic can be really bad for the planet. What what are, from your research, some of the negative or potentially negative impacts of too much exposure to that kind of material? Plastics, if you think about, first I want to talk about baking cookies. There, let's take chocolate chip cookies. That's my They're, favorite. <laughs> There are so many different recipes for chocolate chip cookies. When I was growing up, a standard recipe included white processed flour, white processed sugar, added preservatives, maybe added colors, and it was delicious. <laughs> Nowadays, I have recipes that are made of really healthy ingredients. And I would argue there are chocolate chip cookies that are relative that are healthy, healthier than other like breakfast items. If right. it's made of maybe coconut flour or an almond flour and maybe honey or maple syrup. My point is there's so many different ways to make a chocolate chip cookie. And whether it's healthy or not healthy, and there's a spectrum in between the extremes, it depends on the ingredients. Same idea with plastics. If I remember correctly, there are over 13,000 chemicals used to make plastics. Mind-blowing. There's so many recipes. And so how those chemicals affect us depends on the recipe. And... We know generally there are categories of hormone disrupting chemicals that can contribute to tumor growth, mm. disruption of our endocrine system. And if you're exposed, you know, the human brain doesn't stop developing until our mid 20s. So if those hormones and other chemicals that are known to be toxic to the brain or the heart or the reproductive system, they're participating in our development, participating in like the daily, their daily job. And so it really could affect us in countless ways. Scientists are just beginning to appreciate the many ways that they can disrupt because they can, I think the best way to think about it is they participate in our biology. How has the research you've done, the experience you've had since you started looking at this, changed your habits as a consumer? Or how has it changed the way you approach shopping and equipping your home with whatever it is, furniture, food, clothing? How has it changed the way you approach that? I feel like it's 
just awakened me to so much. I mean, even beyond practical things, like we've discussed so much, like how much plastic shows up in different forms, but even the power in every choice that I make in every moment and the data, I'm such a data-driven person. I like facts. They're objective. It's not anyone's opinion. It's just data. The alarming data, sometimes it's really depressing, but most of the time it's very motivating. Hard to change our patterns, but the motivating data, like for example, most recently, I was kind of excited and kind of grossed out to read that scientists discovered 250,000 nano plastics. That means the plastics are smaller than the width of a piece of human hair. Oh my goodness. Um, the diameter of human hair. 250,000 nanoplastics in one liter of water from a plastic bottle. Those kinds of facts help me take the extra effort to use my non-toxic stainless steel water bottle and, and use that as often as possible to avoid having to buy another plastic water bottle and to make homemade meals more often. That's so hard to do. I don't do it often enough, but the data motivates me to keep trying. And I like having more updated, accurate information on what to strive for. And I work really hard to focus on the small changes I've made in my habits okay. and not worry so much about what I failed to do because I'm looking to change my life and I want people I work with, I want them to focus too on just all the courage and hard work it takes to decide I'm going to become more aware. It really takes a lot of courage. And slowly as you get informed, it becomes easier to make a healthier choice. One of the challenges, as we talked about earlier, is just the wealth of information that's out there. And you've really taken time to kind of go through that and try to come up with a practical approach for people to address the things that we've been talking about. One of the resources I was really um, interested in that I looked at, at your, on your website was the 40 day home detox. Can you just tell us a little bit about that program and, and what does that offer for people? I'm so glad you're asking. I've worked on it for years. It's so hard to simplify highly complex things. I've worked really, really hard to simplify how I approach life after studying this topic for 16 years, raising three kids, living in New York City with still joy and convenience, and I think very good connections with my children and my husband. I, I wanted to share more of how I see the world. And okay. the 40-Day Home Detox is designed to inform your common sense and empower your intuition so that you can see the toxic exposures through your informed common sense 
and intuition. And at the end of 40 days, after we've gone through your home room by room, product by product, as you also customize 10 beautiful workbooks that I've created, you then are left with having practiced a detox method that I call Lollapop. But after practicing it for 40 days, it then becomes more of a habit. And I hope that for the rest of your life, you can remember to, to practice that as often as possible. And it's just a lower stress, intuitive way to live a practical, non-toxic life. But in the meantime, you have customized this, the workbooks, which can become your Bible, because unfortunately, it will take who knows when the laws will properly protect us. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, details matter when you're shopping and you're editing your home. And so you'll become aware and add to this Bible that you'll customize. You'll become aware of the details that can make a big difference over your lifetime exposures. One of the things I, I want to talk with you about briefly is cell phone radiation. I don't know a lot about it. I think I just read that, I believe it was France that had made Apple pull back one of its phones because they felt too much radiation was coming from it. I guess, what what would you want people to know about cell phone radiation or exposure? What, what's kind of the, the big points that you would want them to remember? I'm so glad you brought this up. This is another pillar at the Detox Academy, which is the electromagnetic fields. Electromagnetic, okay. Or radiation. Another way to think of it is just energy, the energy from our technology, whether it's wireless or wired. I think the first thing I'll start with, which I feel is so compelling, is that our government standards for what's a safe amount of wireless radiation for humans is based on the understanding in 1996. The iPhone was introduced in 2007. And there's a nonprofit, a wonderful nonprofit called the Environmental Health Trust, which is kind of also a scientific think tank founded by Dr. Deborah Davis, who's a highly accomplished scientist. She's written many books. She's amazing. She led a lawsuit, well, her nonprofit led a lawsuit against the FCC for ignoring hundreds of pages by scientists urging the FCC to review the latest body of science on how human health is influenced by the electromagnetic fields from our wireless technologies. And the judge, they won. The judge ruled in favor of the plaintiffs, but the the court also said, FCC, you now have to respond to these lists of things, but there's no deadline for by when they need to respond. So in the meantime, the American public is in the middle of an experiment with how we're going to be affected by the electromagnetic fields that are growing year after year. You know, a lot of people don't realize this wireless sea that we're in, even within our own homes. 
again, the iPhone just came out in 2007. Think about all the devices that have been created since then to bring us so much joy and convenience. We have wireless keyboards, mouses, speakers, the Wi-Fi routers and kitchen appliances, even toys. They're like wireless toilets, wireless baby products. It's so complex how what the science has discovered on how it affects us and the Environmental Health Trust aggregates so much of the science. So if you're interested, you can visit that website at ehtrust.org. But I think the one thing I'll say, which I think is really thought-provoking, is that the radiation can weaken our cellular membranes, including our blood-brain barrier, which is a membrane that protects our brain from toxic compounds in our blood. So if your blood-brain barrier is being weakened by cell phone radiation, then your brain is more vulnerable to the toxic chemicals and heavy metals that may be in your body. This has been great information, and I would really encourage folks to visit your website, ruanliving.com. We'll include a link in the show notes and in our podcast website, homewhereyoubelong.com. I always end each interview with the same question, and it's kind of simple. What is it that makes you feel most at home? My work has led me to view home as so much broader than just the real estate I live in. As I said earlier, I think of my body as the first home of my children. And then I've grown to view my body as the home of my heart, my brain, and all the organs inside me. And I appreciate now how my skin is a very impermeable barrier with my real estate home and how our planet is my home. It's our collective home. And I feel very caring of our collective home and all homes. And so I think if I had to pick one thing besides my family, I would say nature always Mm. makes me feel most at home. And my work has led me to feel more connected to nature and discover many ways, simple, practical ways to invite it into my home, even in New York City, and into my daily routines. Well, folks, I again want to mention Sophia's book, A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures. It's available for purchase on Amazon. I'll include a link to that. Again, along with a link to her website, Run Living, where you can uh, find the 40-day home detox and a wealth of other resources that can really help you understand the challenges and, as Sophia said, maybe motivate you to do more work in this area. So, Sophia, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate you taking time out today. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. We want to help you continue experiencing that feeling of being at home wherever you are. So please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and visit our website at homewhereyoubelong.com. Want to join in on discussions, ask questions, or share feedback and ideas? Join our Facebook group, visit us on Instagram, or send an email to chip at homewhereyoubelong.com. We'll see you next time.
proud member of the Podnuga Network.